0: You guys ready to get rolling? Any wild, wild, no? All right. 30 seconds then, all right. Maybe? All right, all right, Now, Let's get started. Um, Tonight is an exciting, exciting, exciting night. So uh, we're going to take a little bit of pause because I felt that last week after talking about God as a warrior that we came across a few things about God's character and his implication for our life and some of the ways in which we do things a little bit wrong. Not that we don't do things, that we do things necessarily wrong, but maybe we don't know exactly how to fight. And that's what we came to last week, is that God promises these tools, God promises these things, and at the end of it, a lot of us are probably just ignorant on how to fight forward. And so last week we talked about the armor of God. Were, were you guys here for that one last week? Yeah? All right. Good. There's gonna be a little quiz right now, okay? So, I have some prizes here. These are the new Epic Life beanies. Yes, bribery does work. They are reversible. (laughs) They are reversible. They are sweet. We have people helping us with our new little logos on the tags. I mean, these are legit, okay? So, but I'm going to be a stickler on these answers only because my mission this year is that we are hearers and doers of the word, that we don't just come into places and we hear things and, oh, that was really cool and that was really good and I may have highlighted something or written something down, but I want it to sink in. I feel that last week, as we talked about the armor of God, it was powerful for life application. So I want to test you guys. The first one was the belt of truth. And there's one specific word that had to do with the belt of truth. Anybody know for this beanie? Loins. She said it first? All right. It's about loins. It's about reproduction. It's about reproduction, about uh, your wedding tackle, your... You know, all all those fun little uh, metaphors. It's about replicating truth. It's about replicating disciples. It's about making disciples of people. All right? The breastplate of righteousness. What was the breastplate of righteousness symbolizing? Uh, Kind of. From what? What are you protecting your heart from? (inaudible) Nope. Nope. See? Something that we do with our hearts. There we go. Give it away. That we, pardon the term, that we whore out our hearts. That we give it away to areas that abuse us and take advantage of and and seed influence in us. Alright. The feet, ready yourself with the feet of the readiness of the peace of the gospel. What is that? Feet. Shoes. What's that? <laughs> kind of. Yeah. But you already got one. So, did someone else say that? <laughs> the, the feet is so that you can be mobile and you can move and you can go where you want. It's also the gospel, but it's, it's really about being mobilizing, or about how to mobilize yourself, and that you take yourself away from circumstances, but then you move yourself into where God is. That we're not a stationary being. We're not sitting here just waiting for all these things that happen to us, that we can actually move and and use the gospel to be our vehicle for going. So, I'm just going to throw this one up. And whoever gets that. (laughs) Alright, no one. Alright, what else is there? The helmet of salvation. What is that about? Close. Kind of. Ooh, close. <laughs> Not quite. It's about knowing something. Nope. Uh, knowing salvation is secure. There it is. Oh. Knowing that your salvation is secure, that we walk around and we are in fear that, oh my gosh, that I've done something and I've got to earn my way back and that I you know, what do I do? Am I running out? I might have, need to get one more. Sword of the Spirit is? Sword of God. And what is unique about the sword of the Spirit? Kind of. It's the only offensive weapon. I'm going to give it to Marky there. It is the only offensive weapon. It's the only thing that we have to do battle with. That God's promises are the answers. And Sean kind of said that Satan tempted Jesus with the word of God, and Jesus used it back in return to fight and to do battle. All right, let me get one more here. All right, and for the last one, shield of faith. Now, there was something very specific about the shield of faith that was unique about it. that We talked about that the shield of faith cannot do something. What, is, what can the shield of faith not do? Cannot attack. It is a defensive weapon. I had no idea where that came from. Right there? All right. Epic Life beanies there. So if you guys want to buy one, they're $12. So uh, they're awesome. So tell your friends. We use it as a promotion tool. We do clothing. as a couple ways just for us to be kind of core in some other areas. Like a lot of people think sometimes we're a clothing company, and that's by design. Uh, So anyways, that's where we're at. All righty. So now that we have that little refresher, why don't we pray and ask God's presence here tonight? Father God, we just commit this evening, Lord, we just commit, God, your word. And as we study your word and we dive into it, Lord, would you help us? Lord, help us to understand and help us to be doers of the word, to be activators, Lord. I pray that we would be bold and move forward, that we would not be stationary, we would not be playing defense, but God, that we'd be an offensive people, dangerous for the kingdom, dangerous God, for what you would have happen in our lives. Lord, we believe this place is where change starts, not only in our hearts, but in this town, in this region of Sacramento, Lord, that you would use this community to start a fire, Lord, of passionate believers who are unashamed, God, of your power, your truth, and what you will do. And so, Lord, we ask that tonight you would equip us. May every word that comes from my mouth be directed, God, from your knowledge, from your wisdom, from your heart. And we ask it and believe it and expect it. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, a couple quick things. A couple nice verses. I want us to get in like the habit of like memorizing scripture. And so there's a couple cool ones we'll start off with. This is Matthew eleven twelve. It should be easy. Matthew eleven twelve. And this is awesome. It says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men will lay hold of it. You catch that? From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. That means that the kingdom of God is expanding by bad mothers, right? I mean, it's like, these aren't the sissy guys. Like, God is moving and using guys who are willing to to walk boldly and to be unashamed of Jesus and his power. And that's how the kingdom is going. The kingdom is not progressing and expanding by all these little sissy people who don't want to offend people that Jesus is the Son of God. All right? We should memorize this. We should know that our calling is not to be these meek and mild and really... You know, oh, wishy-washy, and oh, it's okay, bro, you know? You know, like, no, he's like, we are passionate. We move forward, and we move aggressively, and especially in the areas of our life, that we don't sit down to what the enemy would try and do and steal and to kill and to redefine us. We move boldly forward. The second one is Romans sixteen twenty. It says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now, I don't have any issue with believing that God can smack Satan like a little fly on a window, but I have a hard time seeing that and seeing that it's not under God's feet, it's under our feet. That we have the power to completely obliterate Satan by the power and the peace of God. That the peace of God in our lives is that we can totally squash and just drive that little bugger out. And we need to start looking at the enemy as that. We give him way too much credibility. And so we need to recognize that when God has given his peace to us, we have tremendous power to do battle against the enemy. Amen? Alrighty. So we're looking at God as a warrior in this whole warrior imagery and this battle, right? Okay, so I want to take us to the Old Testament tonight, a little OT style. So go to 1 Samuel, which is near the front. It's after Joshua, right before, uh, right after Joshua, after Numbers and Deuteronomy and all those good ones. So I'll give you a second to turn there, and it's 1 Samuel, turn to chapter 14. I'm going to read something real quick for you from Samuel chapter 7, just to give a little context here. do. Slow page turner. Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 7, and this is verse 3, and this is just real quick. It was a long time, twenty years in all, that the ark remained at Gareth Jerim, and all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Asherahs, and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. He will deliver you out of the land of the Philistines. So right here, all you need to know about this is that God had a promise to deliver them away from the Philistines. Right? So God delivered this to Saul. And Saul decreed that to his people. And so the promise for the people was spoken. All right? So turn back to 14. This is where we're going. 1 Samuel 14. It says this. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts... Of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron, with him were about six hundred men, among who was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod, and he was the son of Ejabod, brother of Iatub in Phineas, the son of Eli, and the Lord's priest in Shiloh. Okay, we got those those names. All right, forget that part. That's not we don't. That's not important. Here is what's important. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. So Saul, right? Saul is snoozing under the pomegranate tree. Jonathan, his son, gets up, says to his armor bearer, let's go. Let's go check out the other side. It says, no one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. Each side there's a cliff. One was called Bozes, and the other was Senna. One cliff stood to the north toward Mekesh, and the other of the south toward Giba. Whatever. All those places, right? It's like Harry going out there, all right? So. These guys are, like, ready to do battle, and the whole entire terrain and names are all really scary. So, Jonathan said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go, oh, to, let's go out to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. This is key. Check it out. It says, Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come, let's go pick a fight. Maybe God will help. Like, whoa, 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 What? Let's go pick a fight. There's two guys, and there's all these Philistines, and he's saying, let's go, you and I, Bruno de Mano, let's go do it, and maybe God will get involved and help us. Love that. Where's Sal? Sal's right there. I love Sal. Sal is kind of my right-hand guy, a couple with uh, some other people who help. but he came to me before, and he's like, I want to be your armor bearer and like, help and be your right-hand man. And I thought of him this morning because I love this. It was like, Sal, let's go base jumping, and, and maybe our parachutes will open, you know? I love that. That's like the equivalent of what you're saying. It's saying, hey, let's go. Let's go pick a fight. Let's go do battle, you and me, against all those Philistines, and maybe God will show up. He says, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor-bearer said. If I was the armor-bearer, I'd say, I'm going to go back to sleep. When you know for sure if God's going to show up, I'll, I'll go with you. Go ahead. I'm with you, heart and soul. That's a friend. Jonathan said, Come then, we will cross over toward the men and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are calling out of their holes they were hiding in the men at the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor-bearer, Come up to us, and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up, using his hands and feet, and with his armor-bearer right behind him, the Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor-bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor-bearer killed some 20 men in an area about half an acre. The panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and the field, and those in the outposts and raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Everybody say sent. sent. Two guys go and pick a fight with all these Philistines. And what happens is they do that. They act in faith, they act in obedience. The odds were fully against them. And it says, because of that, God sent the shock. It wasn't like, oh, God. Just strike down 20-some of them, and then we'll go. We'll know that's you. They said, no, we're going to rear our heads. And if they say, hey, come to us, that's when we go to them because we know God is with us. I'd say, let's show our heads. And if they come up and they trip, maybe that's a sign from God that we can go after them. That's the exact opposite. So there's some things tonight. And that is the crux of all of tonight, is looking at this and pulling it apart. And a few things that we can learn from Jonathan. The first is that not everything is guaranteed. What is guaranteed in life? Anybody know this? Death Death and taxes. Hate them both. Man. So uh, that's the only thing that we, in this culture, can guarantee. Nothing is guaranteed. Some things you'll know and some things you won't know. And I would argue tonight that we would be in agreement that security is actually the greatest deterrent to the will of God. That security, in this instance, would have completely left the promise of God out. Remember, these guys are acting on that promise of God that was in chapter 7. They knew the promise over the people, and so they acted on it. And they didn't act out of comfortability and, oh, this is going to be calculated. They went up against the odds. It was uncertain, and they moved. I think a lot of us, we look at God as an insurance plan. That when we come to God, that everything is going to be really nice and cozy, and it's really kind of a a guarantee that we're going to have a minimum standard of life if God is with us. That's exactly the opposite. We need to come to expect that there is no expectation when we are living in the will of God. And that is good news. We need to begin to retool our thinking because that is amazing news for us as we look at this. I have an interesting life. So I proposed to Camille as I was a senior in college. And I was a business major and I was really entrepreneurial and I wanted to start this business and so I really wanted to, to marry my wife and so she was a year ahead of me in school and so I proposed it's like, I just, everything in me, like I drove myself crazy just to, to do it. And we were doing a long distance at that time. And so I proposed and I'd spent all my money on my projects and going after it and I'm broke. And it's like, yeah, we're getting married. And, and it's like, well, when are we going to get married? And it's like, well, I'm in college. I don't have a job. And I'm a really enthusiastic guy. It's all I got to offer at the moment. And I remember that God was calling and the name of my business has a very spiritual significance to me. And I remember God confirming on my heart He said, I want you to go against all odds. Why? Because unless you go against all odds, maybe you, you stupid little tool, will get credit for it. I want you to go into such circumstances that everyone will say, you are crazy, out of your mind, and I will stand firm in the promise that I know that God has promised me this woman and this time and this business. So I did what any other stupid young 21-year-old did is I graduated, walked across with my diploma, stepped into full-time self-employed. Getting married in two months. My wife is full time in graduate school. I have the 100% of the income on me. I'm the bread and the bacon. So we get married, right? We go on a honeymoon. I sold my dirt bike to go on a honeymoon. And so we get back, and so we got like 800 bucks in the checking account. Everyone up until that point was like, You are an idiot. What are you doing? This isn't God's plan. This is not his best for you. Like, how does this make any sense? And I just stood there and I just was feeling convicted that God. His promises and His provision for me was going to be greater if I stepped out and took a risk and a chance and swing for the fences, and experience what could be. And ever since then, I've always been drawn to the taste of what could be. I'm designed and wired to crave and thirst after the possibilities that tomorrow has because of it. I've been in business for six years now, and even to this day, I'll mark in a little calendar. I know the exact date in which my business goes out of business. I have no guaranteed income. I have to go make my own money. I have to go finish projects. I have to finish on time. What happens when clients don't pay you? What happens with office space and employees and hiring and firing and all these different things? I have no guarantee. I had no... Not a single friend or family gave us a penny. It was up to me. And I don't say this arrogantly. I just say it because God was the one who fulfilled the promise. It had nothing to do with me. We never once missed a rent p- payment. We bought a house six months later. Moved into an office eight months after that, had employees, and I just found out just a few months ago that in my first several years, I've done over a million dollars in revenue. Me? What? I don't say that at all, besides the fact that God took this circumstances, and I had enough stupidity to say that God would be able to do this, and I walked in it, and it's been the best thing in my life, and so now I'm driven of what could be with God. If you talk to me, and we talk, and Maybe we talk about business or ideas and I'll start like unwinding and, and Jamie was down in our meeting in our office and so we were talking about this idea and, and I'm just like all over the charts and, and just what could be if we give ourselves and throw away fear and walk forward is amazing. Because nothing great ever happens when we sit in our comfortable little cushion. God doesn't move mountains when we sit and we're on the clicker watching ESPN. God moves and honors when we get out of our seat and we walk boldly and we say, There's 800 Philistines, and there's two of us, but I believe that God has promised this for me, and so I'm going to walk forward. I always like to say, what is the worst that could happen? I tell my wife this all the time still. What is the worst that could happen? I get a job somewhere else? I don't know. Right now, I am, I'm forever corrupted from ever having a normal job, because I can't stand the limited potential that a job comes with. At least with me, I feel that there's potential Where God would go, and so I want that to be the heartbeat of this community. I want us to be a community that is so stinking, faithful, that God's character will come through that we begin to see amazing transformations here. That we are stupid enough to think that we'd have a place and a part in a revival that starts in this room. That transformation that starts in this community, that we'd have a place in that. The second thing we can learn is that Jonathan had unwavering confidence in God. Unwavering confidence. He had total and utter faith in God not only in just God and his character, but in his capacity. He knew that God didn't care about the odds. Two on 800, doesn't matter. He had total and utter belief that no matter what it was, because it was God's promise, that God was going to come through. And so he had an unbelievable confidence to walk fully in that. I think we have a lot to learn from that, that we don't believe that God is able to do that for us. I don't think any of us doubt maybe the power of God, That we don't doubt what God is capable of, but I think that we doubt his willingness to do it for us. And that's the difference. Is that we totally think that someone else is more worthy than I am to receive this. That someone else deserves this, That God only does that for everybody else, but he doesn't do it for me. And Jonathan here had total belief and confidence in God's capacity. That it didn't matter. It says that God could use a few or a ton of people. It didn't matter to him. He had absolute trust in God's character. I think we, we, we need to begin to retool that. I'm excited because things are changing in our, in our community, and in, in each one of us, and we're beginning to rethink that, wow, God is going to do this. And little by little, we begin to take little steps. The third thing is that Jonathan didn't wait. Jonathan didn't wait for a big storm or a huge sleep to fall over anybody. Like, there were no weird circumstances in which this came about. Remember, Jonathan was undetected and going to his armor bearer and saying, let's go. No one knew where he was, and you read the rest of the story, and they find out that he had d- defeated all the Philistines by himself. He didn't wait for Saul and all the army to build up. He didn't wait for them all to come up and put together this whole strategy and how they're going to beat him. No, he took one promise, one armor bearer, and one step forward. That is his action. He did not wait a minute. I, I like I like looking at things around us and I think that the most common thing I hear besides I want a wife or a husband is what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? And we sit here in our circumstances and we just sit here and it's like, God, what are you doing? You know, I'm waiting. I think that's the wrong approach. I think instead of asking what is God's will for my life is how can my life fit into the will of God? If we look at all the different people in the Bible, We look at John the Baptist, right? I mean, we talked about ever since John the Baptist, the guy, the first bad A that started the whole entire revolution of the gospel, it didn't work out too well for him. He was beheaded. He wasn't like, oh, God's will for my life isn't to be in jail and to be beheaded. That would be be really unlike God. No, he's like, the kingdom of God is at hand, and my life is worth giving to God's will. But we think it's all about us. And to a certain extent, Us walking forward, it kind of is that God's going to do something through us, but I think that when we turn our attention on how does my life fulfill the will of God, it begins to change our perspective, because now we're not waiting for God to come to us. We need to go jump on where God's going. that We need to get our gear shifter out of neutral and start moving forward. Pick up and go where God is moving. And God is moving here. I'm tired of people who always talk about how it's so bad here, it's so bad in this thing, and my life stinks, and this, and it's like No one is holding you to where you're at. If you want a change of scenery, if you want a change of circumstances, go after it. If you feel God is leading you somewhere else, go after it. Don't stick around. There is no benefit in waiting when it comes to God's promises. If God's promises are now, then you should be moving step by step, moving forward to go see it. I think that we have a habit of building no-risk faith. (coughs) The, the habit of our existence is to build a life of faith where we never really get out of our comfort zone. We never really try something. We never really do anything that's out of the ordinary. That we get really used to having no risk in our faith whatsoever. That's not what Jonathan gives for us. That's not the warrior heart of God. It's, it's all about risk. <clears throat> it's all about taking chances. It's all about moving forward knowing God's favor is about us. You know there's a difference between acting and reacting? There's an entire world of difference that comes when you live a life, and we talked about the shield, remember? The shield is what? Good for defense. Defense. The shield. The shield of faith. We say, oh, it's our faith. You need to have more faith, man. The shield is defensive. So you're going to sit here, and you're going to take on blow after blow after blow when God's saying, pull out your sword and move forward. Right? There's a difference between being reactionary with a shield and acting with a sword. I'm living a life right now where I'm trying to find circumstances in which I am the one who defines the parameters of my existence. I am the one that defines the health of the relationships around me. I don't want other people to define it for me. I don't want Satan to define my life for me. If we do not move forward and act and define our lives in truth, in wholeness, in forgiveness, and redemption. God is going to be silent as we sit there and let ourselves be defined by idolatry, unforgiveness, immorality, temptation, addiction. Because that's what the enemy is going to try and do. Unless we act, we are going to be by default reacting. We can't just keep using the, the, the faith shield. We can't just keep on asking for moral faith. We need to move forward. We need to stop waiting. Last year is that vision precedes the resources. The vision of God, the vision in here always precedes the resources that you need to move forward. Is that you need to have the vision, the plan, the purpose, the promise. That all comes first. When I started my business, I wasn't like, oh, I just need a you know eighty thousand dollars in my bank account before I start my business. uh uh-uh. It doesn't work that way. The vision came first. The vision came first. It was set upon my life and I moved when I had zero resources. And God made the resources for me as I moved forward. He made it just in time, always. I've been bugging a bunch of people in El Salvador, <clears throat> and especially the guys. And I'm going to beat up on you guys real quick because anybody who doesn't want to go to El Salvador, I haven't heard one, one excuse, not one excuse that hasn't been money. Not one. And it, it's, it's discouraging for me because you think that That's such a limited perspective on what God can do. That God is going to give you a vision for your life. And if you say, I I just don't have the vision of my life to to go to El Salvador. Totally cool. Oh man, I'm okay with that. When it comes to money, it's like, God's inventor money. God can make the money come out of zeros on a tax return coming back to you. And it's like, God can make money appear if he wants. And I'll tell you what, every single person went to El Salvador overraised. That we had $2,000 and we went to Costco down there. And you can buy a lot for Costco, especially in El Salvador. And we packed out this van and we went to this orphanage and we gave them almost two or three months worth of food. It was amazing. Not one person had a financial burden going on the trip. Some people decided to contribute on their own, but there's some people that decide, I have no money, I just need to leave it to God. And we did some things. We try to be excellent, we try to move forward and kick down and knock on every single door, open every window, and God totally came through. Vision always precedes the resources. If you feel called to El Salvador, it doesn't matter if you don't have a penny. Let's go. Don't let money stop what you think you can do. I think we have a a paradigm in which we always think that these things need to line up before we move and act. And so Jonathan, here's our awesome example, says that you don't need anything. You can take two guys. We didn't wait for an opportunity. We didn't wait for an extra armor. We just moved. And I love it because it says that it was a panic sent by God, that God showed up out of their obedience to move forward. They were obedient to the vision, and God gave the resources for them to defeat the Philistines. It's awesome. I had an awesome meeting here with a buddy who's going to come up now and, and share a little bit. And uh, his name's Jeff. And I met him uh, I met him a couple years ago, actually playing basketball. Why don't you come up here, Jeff. <clears throat> And uh, Jeff and I had an interesting conversation in our office. And uh, yeah, let's give him a little hand here for Jeff. <clears throat> and Jeff, he and I met, and so we were talking, and I kid you not, verbatim for what we were, I was just like, who are you? And he begins to tell me. <clears throat> and he begins to line his story with scripture about that we take the kingdom of heaven by force. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, really? And so he's going to share a little bit of his story, where he's at, and uh, happy to have you here. So there's a little mic here.
1: You're on. How's everybody doing tonight? Cool. Well, first of all, thank you for allowing me to come and speak. It's an honor to come, and I'm just really stoked, man, that God has me here, and I'm just really on fire to see the city taken for the Lord, you know? Um, It's time that we just step up. Uh, just real quick to give you a scripture reference, um, what I felt God was speaking for me tonight is uh, Matthew 16, and it's uh, Peter's confession of Christ. And what's important about this is Jesus asked Peter, "Who, who do you say I am?" You know, so who is God to you guys? You know, I know who He is to me, but do you really know who He is to you? You know, this might tell you something, but unless you experience it. Unless you walk it out day by day, you're really not going to know who it is you serve. He's a God that is capable of anything and everything. And, uh, you know, my life has been quite a wild ride. Um, I look back on it, and I thank God for every moment. I don't regret anything. And uh, that's important. Don't have any regrets. But just for yourself, when you have time, read uh, Matthew 16, uh, 13 through 20. And what God is doing, what Jesus is doing is giving Peter his identity. And you guys have that same identity. We are the church. And we're built upon the rock, and it's Jesus. And it's unshakable. So anyway, it's going to my story. Um, I was born in Texas, lived there for three years, moved to Oklahoma, lived there for four or five years, came to California when I was seven years old. And I've lived here ever since. Uh, Grew up in a Christian home, you know, my mom, she always preached the word at me, but I'll be honest, I didn't want to hear it. You know, I, I was like, come on, man. This is Jesus. This guy is not for me. You know, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I did. You know, I did what I wanted to do for a good part of my life, and then I went to school here at Capitol, you know, and I sat through a religion class with Mr. Collins. I don't know if any of you guys know who he is, but I thank God for that man every day. <laughs> um just really passionate for the word and he has just a lot of the insight and he just walks in just so much love you know he never judged you he was just so loving and I began to see something different you know and then I graduated high school went into college still not sure about my walk with Christ and if this is what I wanted to do because I wanted to do what Jeff wanted to do you know oh yeah this old Jesus thing that's nice but is it beneficial for me what is it going to do for me Very narrow-minded in my thinking. It was very futile, and it really, really destroyed my life for many years. And um, you know, finally, I uh, one summer I just dropped to my knees and I just asked God to really help me because I couldn't do it on my own. I didn't have the strength. I didn't have the will to live. I had often thoughts of committing suicide. What is my purpose on this earth? Absolutely nothing. You know, I was just hopeless. And when I dropped to my knees and I cried out to God, he answered me. And he really brought me to a place where I had faith in him a little bit, but I was still wavering. You know, I was still like, okay, you've come through this once, but are you going to keep coming through for me? And he did. Um, you know, so then I really s- decided to turn my life around and start living for God. And uh, was, went to a couple different churches, got really hurt. And so, once again, Jeff was nowhere to be found. I was like, where am I? found myself in nightclubs, bars, drinking. But that was reality for me. That's what Jeff wanted to do because he escaped the reality of church. He didn't like church. I didn't like church because all I saw was just a bunch of fake people. And I got sick of it. I was reading the Word, and nothing was lining up. I was like, man, where's, where's faith? Where's this dedication to God? And so I... Stepped back and uh, got very angry, but I was in the bar one night. <laughs> this is wild. Slamming back drink after drink, and um, I was sitting at the bar by myself. Felt very lonely in that moment. This lady, never I'd never met her in my life till this day. I don't even know if she was an angel or what, but she walked up to me. She was like, "How are you tonight?" And I was like just drinking, you know, (laughs) and uh, she said, God loves you, and walked away, (laughs) I was like, all right, what do you want, (laughs) (laughs) you know, here I am in a bar, but you're still sending me this message that you love me, what, what is this about, you know, so I, uh, after that, I knew, I was like, okay, I, I really need to stop, so I prayed, and I asked God to once again help me, and once again, he did. And, you know, I've had many, many powerful experiences in my life and in my walk with God. And the power of God is so amazing, and it just changes you day to day. You, you are never the same. When you're in God's presence, you leave, the, you leave that situation, and you're never the same. And uh, just give you a testimony on the power of God. One, one year, it was like three years ago, I think, I was down in L.A. at a healing conference. And uh, didn't expect this, but I was like, okay, God, I want to step outside of the box and, you know, really trust you to do something big and use me. You know, I'm a willing vessel. I want you to use me. He was like, okay. <laughs> so there was a lady in a wheelchair, and the Lord said, go pray for her. I was like, come on now, man. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'm not going to go pray for this lady. <laughs> come on. I, do you believe in me? Do you believe in the power that I have to heal this woman? yeah so why not? So I gave it a shot, went up to her immediately. this woman was just like bawling, she was crying. she was like, "I know why you're here. The Lord showed me, you're here to pray for me." I was like, "Whoa, yeah. <laughs> so I, I prayed for her, and the power and she was a uh, paralytic, her head was resting on a little shelf in her wheelchair. she had no, she had no strength at all. and um I began to pray for her. And I just felt so much fire in my body. And it was just before my eyes, like the woman's head just started rising up like this. And she was moving her head around. And she was, she was crying the whole time. And I, I was crying. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> it's like, give me strength here, Lord. And um, next thing I know, she's on her feet hugging me. I'm like, all right, I I believe you. <laughs> You know, but that was three years ago, and I've been through a lot since. But this year, I've really decided. I'm like, God, I'm done running. I'm tired of being fake. I'm tired of reading this and not holding it up to my face and seeing myself in the Word. You know, because the Word is a mirror for us. But, you know, I'm not saying this to condemn you guys. I want to encourage you. You serve such a mighty God. You know, how many are college students in here? Oh, praise God. You have a mission. You have so many kids around you that need the love of Christ. People are lost. And if God tells you, pray for somebody or go encourage somebody, do it. Step out on faith. Do it. And, you know, just take this city back for God because this is our inheritance. You guys are here right now. God has placed you here. And this is your inheritance. And the inheritance is seeing the city of Sacramento set on fire for God. How awesome would that be? seriously, to see millions of people on fire for the Lord. I mean, just imagine. Just connect with God's heart. Wherever you are, if you, you're working, you're in school, whatever you're doing, pray. Say, God, give me your heart. Give me your vision for this place. What do you want to see? And whatever he tells you, believe in, please. Do me that favor. Believe God at what he says because his word does not return void. Yeah. Even if it's like the Philistine army, you see 800 soldiers out there and you're one person. Believe it. God's much bigger than anything you can imagine. So,
0: awesome. That's, that's Let's give goes. Jeff a hand.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay, there. Okay.
0: And you, mind you, like, I played basketball with this guy, and when, when this story came out, I'm just like, you know, I got to take deep breaths, and, and, uh, and I'm, I'm just so encouraged that. Hey, buddy, thanks for <laughs> <me>. <laughs> I'm just so encouraged that this is the caliber of what is being drawn here. It's being drawn in this body. And I'm so tired of seeing people who live mediocre, stuck in neutral lives. And just as he said, he's tired of playing the same games and it's time to move forward. It's time for us to get off our tails and to start believing that this is legitimate, that this is what it really is about. This is our sword. This is what we advance with. Until we start doing that and start walking, it, we're just going to be stuck. So here's the thing, is that you have all the control, actually, sorry, you don't have any control of when, where, and how you will die. That's a bummer. You have no control over that. Rarely really have control over that. You you have no control over that if God takes you out. But the one thing you can control is how you live. That's the one thing that you have control over. Again, it's not... Reacting—it's acting. You have total power to see how you're going to live a life. That's totally within your hands. And to move with God is to accept a life full of uncertainties. And I've found, for at least my own personal life, is that the greatest moments of life have come in the greatest moments of uncertainty. The greatest moments of your life will, will be lined with the greatest moments of uncertainty is you'll look back on those days, and you'll see, wow, God totally came through at the ninth hour when I really needed it. And we need to be ready for that. We need to be ready when that opportunity comes that we move and we go through it. I know there's a lot of people here who need jobs. A lot of people who need breakthroughs with family. There's a lot of people here that have a lot of brokenness. And we need to be ready for when God is going to move and open that opportunity that we don't sit back and we let the opportunity pass. Because so many of us do that. So I want to ask you, what is it that holds you back? What is it that holds all of us back? Why are there not more Jonathans here? This is coined the Jonathan factor. And if you like some of this, then you'll love Erwin McManus's book called Chasing Daylight. What is holding us back? And at least our heart, our little uh, pulse on this community is the same for most as you go elsewhere. The one thing that holds us back is shame. I'd probably say the largest overriding issue in our body, in young adults, is shame. Hands down. A few things about shame. Shame sits over you like a heavy blanket. Or like a wet blanket. Shame is this thing that just kind of wraps itself around you And it begins to encroach you. And what it does is as more shame comes around you and your life collects more shame is it begins to cloud your vision. It begins to cloud who you are in Christ, God's love for you and God's plan for you. And unless we begin to pull this off and shake it off is that the enemy is going to keep on stacking more shame over you. It's going to get more and more confusing. As we talked about the armor of God. It's not that easy, right? It's just not, oh, just put on the breastplate of righteousness. If you have all this on you, you can't put on that breastplate. It's not going to fit. You can't put on the full armor of God while you're carrying all this stuff. It's a heavy weight that keeps us immobilized and it keeps us stuck in sin. What motive is there to get out of our shame and get out of sin when this is around us? Might as well stay there, right? It's there. I actually kind of like it. You know, I kind of like my shame. It's a place of security. It gives me an axe to grind against somebody else. It gives me power, right? It gives me a motive to be bitter. It gives me reason to feel the way I do. It gives me justification for the sin in my life, is this shame. So what do you do? There's, there's three steps. This is not my own. Three steps here of what we can do with shame. Is The first is just simply acknowledging that shame is there. Is that so many of us, want to just point the finger somewhere else. Oh, it's just a relationship. Oh, it's just a job. Oh, it's just temptation. Oh, it's just this. When in reality, that our mind and our vision is being clouded by shame and that we can't move forward because of it. And we first need to acknowledge that there is shame there. Step number two is really easy. is confessing with your mouth to someone you trust. It doesn't just count just to be like, oh God, I have shame. Thank you. Amen. That doesn't work. There's power and in coming into discipleship, into fellowship. Don't go out and broadcast it on Facebook all your laundering details. Share it with somebody. Somebody you trust. Someone who knows this inside and out and can help you and guide you through it. There is never condemnation at the presence of shame. At the acknowledgement of your sin, act, the acknowledgement of your baggage, at the acknowledgement of your hurt, your pain, your suffering, your bitterness, your unforgiveness, there's never condemnation in that in here. And God wants to liberate that. But we need to first come to him and confess with our mouth as somebody, and just let that go. And the last, and the reason for that is because this is too heavy to lift by ourselves. Most of us have probably been walking 20-some years collecting shame around us. And just thinking, it's just not that big of a deal. It's just not that bad. We go through 20-some-odd years collecting different things, letting it fester, letting it stew and broil. And suddenly we have something that is so huge and heavy that we can't do anything about it. So the other component to confess with your mouth is having somebody come beside you and help you lift it. Because sometimes when things are in an awkward position, like a straitjacket, you can't get yourself out of it. You need someone to come and unbuckle it. And as soon as you have someone that's helping you, suddenly now you have some mobility in your arms and you can begin to get this thing off you and it's, it's wrapped around you. You need someone to like show you where it's tangling you. You need someone to help you pull this off and just get it off and just do this. You need to be able to get free of that. And you need to come and be liberated from it. What our tendency to do is to cover ourselves up. We cover our shame. And the bummer thing about that, when we cover ourselves up, it forces God to expose us. But when we expose ourselves in our shame, is that God comes and covers us. One way or the other, If you're carrying all this around, one way or the other, somehow, someday, somewhere, it's going to come out. And it's not going to be on your terms. And you're going to be bummed. But when we come and we say, God, here it is, it's that God can then cover you with it. Amen? So I want to turn to the table just for a few minutes, and I want us just to bounce off. I have two very, very, very simple questions, and then we'll end the night with some music. The first question is, what truths hit me most? What truth speaks to me the most, and why? So, is it an idea? Is it a story? Is it a principle? I just want you to to sound back. It's going to be different from everybody. Remember. So, the things we learned from Jonathan is that nothing is guaranteed. He had unwavering confidence in God. He didn't wait, and vision preceded resources. Somewhere in this, somewhere in the shame, there's something in here. If you are red-blooded and breathe oxygen, there's something that God pinged on your heart. I think it'd be fruitful for us just to say, I thought this was kind of for me. And the second is, what practical thing in terms of something you can do can you do now to make a change? What practically do you think, man, there's an opportunity to go for this job and I just really need to go for it. I mean, I've been sitting on the fence of this thing that God's been telling me that I should be doing and I just need to go for it. I need to go and meet with somebody. I need to get help for this thing. I have bitterness. What is that one thing? So we'll spend a few minutes with the table. Don't be bashful. This is an area where we go and we begin to flex our muscles. If we want to see real transformation in each of our lives, these are the things that we need to be able to reflect and bounce off because there's strength in this body. There's strength in this community. So spend a few minutes and do that, and we'll end the night. All right. Alrighty. So why don't wasn't the band come up? We're gonna end this here in a second. So if the band can make your way up, we'll close it out. How you guys feeling tonight? Yeah? Seriously. Come on. I am so fired up because I feel a shift. I feel a shift in this room, I feel a shift in this culture. In the lives of people here, and and this is going on two years now, and I I feel that there's some teeth coming, that we are raising up a generation, a group, a community of people who are tired of mediocrity and tired of lukewarmness. Now, remember that we did a table question. It was, if you could do anything in the world, and it would succeed, and God would bless it, what would it be? Right? I hope you wrote something down or said something. I hope someone heard you say it. Now, the follow-up question is, why aren't you doing that right now? The one question is why? Why not right now? What is that? Isn't that what we learn here? Isn't that the truth? Is that when we step forward and God places those desires and those things on our heart, those are legit. Those don't just come out of nowhere. That's not just your own human it's like God places things on your heart. And when He lays that on you and He gives you dreams and passions, They aren't just for you to sit on the sideline and watch I believe that they are for today and for now. And I want to see us to begin to move forward in this month and this week and this year to move forward and begin to seizing those dreams, those passions and that destiny. It's all about acting. It's not reacting. So why don't we all stand and we'll commit this evening to God. If there's anybody that wants to receive prayer, if you need prayer for something going on tonight, if we can Pray with you for a job, for extra money and a tax return, for anything. We would love to do it. As we come here and lift our voices, God shows up and God hears the cries of our heart. So, Father God, we just commit our evening, our lives, our hearts, our ambitions, our dreams, God, our worries, our anxieties to you. Lord, help us in this place, Lord, to be Jonathan's. God, that we have warrior spirits like Jesus, and God, that we would move forward defending and fighting, God, for a passionate kingdom advancement in our lives. Passionate kingdom advancement in this community. Passionate kingdom advancement in Sacramento, in this region, in this state, God, in this country. Help us to the ends of the world take, God, our passion and our vision, God, because it's just yours. God, we'd be extensions of you, and so would you help us Lord, tonight, as we lift our voices, God, I just pray for freedom here in this place that we'd be able to lift our hands and lift our arms and, God, that, that wet blankets, wet blankets all over this room would fall to the floor. And if those need help in tearing that up, Lord, I pray that, that tonight we'd have the energy and the passion and the willingness to say enough of this finally. And, God, that we would lay before you, God, and we'd be liberated from shame. And we'd be freed to go forward into our destiny. And, God, that you would do that help us Tonight, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you'd impress the truth that if we wait for guarantees, the only guarantee that we will have is that we will miss endless opportunities with you. If we are waiting for guarantees, the only thing that will be guaranteed is mediocrity. And so, Lord, help us to be a community that acts and no longer reacts. That we would define the parameters of our existence, that we would define the context of our future. And Lord, help us in that, and we just believe you for it. Would you move in this place, move in this body? God, we expect you to show up here tonight. Would you inhabit the noise of our praises, and we commit it to you, Lord, as we lift our voices.